0: Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter.
1: Uh, I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric scuz drop a whiskey in my beer, <laughs> Uh
0: Tonight we are going to uh, head to the friendly confines of Wrigley Field uh, for the first time since 2010, as we preview our opponent for the Wrigley Field Classic, the Purdue Boilermakers, um, you know, they, they've been struggling of late and it's, it's weird, uh, c- kind of bizarre. Cause you know, uh, the offensive talent has been, you know, out of control. Jeff Brom's offense has been theoretically very, very dynamic defensively, John though, um, Bit of a different story for uh, for the Boilermakers.
2: Yeah, for a couple of years, um, I think one of the most unexpected things heading into the 2021 season, though, is how kind of interesting Purdue's defensive situation is. Now, I don't mean good. I mean interesting. But still, for a defense that, you know, as you kind of alluded to, basically had bottomed out in the Braum era. Purdue seems to be in a solidly better position heading into 2021 than I would say anyone could have predicted. So it's certainly the most interesting unit to examine in the conference defensively from a coaching perspective. So there are three names to examine here, Nick Holt, Bob Diaco, and Brad Lambert. Holt was Purdue's defensive coordinator for most of the Brahm era, and we kind of gave him a lot of credit at the time, Not so much for developing a strong defense year to year as for just crazily pushing all of his chips into the middle of the table right off um, and just surprising the rest of the conference by absolutely selling out against the run. And it actually worked for one season and change, and then it stopped working, and then the bottom fell out. But we talked going into last season about how you could kind of look at some of the pieces Holt had on the team and talk yourself into a shred of a defense. But instead, last season was the moment when Braum decided to blow it up. Um, And this was by no means a strange decision at the time, because Purdue's defensive situation sucked. Again, the bottom had fallen out. What was totally strange was the guy who Purdue brought in, Bob Diaco, who we had much fun (laughs) joking about this last year. But this if, is a guy. I, who...
1: I, I must interject in the middle of our Purdue preview last year. I was trying to look up like Bob Diaco three four um, defense, and what I stumbled across was an article Dude. about Purdue absolutely blowing the doors off to Nebraska the year that Bob Diaco installed his 3-4 ne- defense <laughs> at Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: so, sounds about right. Um, yeah, so it's like, and this is, again, as we said last year, Diaco is someone who basically pinned his entire reputation to the work that he did at Notre Dame eons ago. So effectively, I, dr- what I drive was, fast
1: when you give me a Ferrari. Yeah, yeah
2: exactly. Um, so effectively, what happened last year was this. So in a year when so many defenses underperform or bottomed out, and this has kind of been a theme of all of our previews, so Purdue, on the strength of a quality transfer and a couple of legitimately good guys, did not bottom out. Purdue ended up with the eighth best defense in the conference, and honestly, the main takeaway was that if Braum had just stayed with Holt, things might have been even better. Uh, I know what you're saying. How do we know This seeming progress wasn't actually due to Bob Diaco's work as defensive coordinator, because Braum canned him after one season. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The 3-4 that Diaco was trying to switch to was a mess, just like we said it was going to be. And it submarined Purdue down the stretch of their season. So at least credit Brom for realizing how dumb it was to hire Diaco in the first place and making a switch. Here's where things really get interesting for Purdue. On one hand, Purdue is losing several of its best players. On the other hand, the Boilers are making what, on paper, is a massive upgrade at defensive coordinator. Brad Lambert is not clinging to past glory He's an offensive defensive coordinator, an awesome defensive coordinator, right now. The past two seasons at Marshall, Lambert put together an awesome unit, culminating in a defense last year that led Conference USA by giving up a stupid 13 points a game. This guy can coach. With that said, Purdue is losing major pieces. So arguably the most important one was Lorenzo Neal. After missing a bunch of 2019 due to injury, Neal showed just how valuable an impact defensive tackle can be last year. So he was working as the nose in that 3 4, and he anchored a defense that shockingly finished sixth in the conference against the run. Now he's gone, and Purdue does not have a solid replacement for him. Now, Purdue does still have George Karloftis one of the best defensive ends in the conference, who unfortunately is going to have to deal with a ton of double teams this year because there just ain't a lot there. Um, But ideally some of Lambert's schemes should help free Karloftis up more to attack quarterbacks. But again, he is still going to get doubled a ton and Purdue's just going to have to figure out some way to deal with that. Purdue also loses its leading tackler.
1: Can we just talk about George Karloftis for three seconds? So sure. In, in 2019, in a traditional 4-3 defense where this, like, absolute stud of a defensive end was allowed to attack the quarterback, yeah. he got seven are, and a half sacks.
2: Oh, yeah. So, and are and, and you saying, like, obviously what you would then do is bury him on, on the line in a, in a 3-4 defense?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was third in tackles, had, like, led the team or tied for the lead in terms of sacks led the team in tackles for a loss, had two pass breakups and one pick. And then last year, four tackles and two sacks. I mean, he fell from the top of their list to the bottom of their list in terms of defensive production
2: with their best player. That's how bad Bob Diaco was. Exactly. It means nothing. Um, And Lambert. So it's like just by putting him back at four, three end, his numbers are going to jump back up. And if they can give him anything else, that's just gravy. Um, and speaking of kind of those shifts, so Purdue loses its leading tackler, Derek Barnes, who was the other end in the former 4-3, but was converted to a 3-4 linebacker last year. I think he was even converted to, like, inside linebacker in the 3-4. What a friggin' mess. <laughs> um, but still, they he was a great player. Um, and Purdue still returns its second and third leading tacklers in two of the other three remaining linebackers, um, Jalen Alexander and Demarcus Mitchell. And Mitchell, in particular, was a junior college transfer who really was as good as Purdue could possibly have hoped last year. Um, So remember, if you've listened to our previews so far this year, you know that several of the defenses at the bottom of the conference, Michigan being a glaring example, got very little from the linebackers and relied a lot on the safeties. That's not Purdue. Purdue does not have that problem. Their linebackers were good last year. They return two big ones this year. And Purdue, honestly, may have a secret weapon at this position as well. And that would be mega recruit true freshman Yanni Karloftis. Yes, George Karloftis' younger brother. Um, So Yanni picked Purdue over Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan. He was a top 15 linebacker recruit in the country. He's a true freshman, but he may see the field right away, just like his brother did. Um, Purdue also has a pretty solid secondary, anchored by a pair of very experienced corners in Corey Trice and Diedrich Mackey. These two have started for several years. They know what they're doing, um, and they're pretty good. Still, Purdue is Obviously limited by a lack of depth and a lack of talent up front. Losing Neal is crushing for this team. They really counted on him to absorb tacklers up front. Purdue doesn't have close to a solid replacement for him. Teams, hopefully, like Northwestern in Wrigley, um, with strength in the trenches, can really push this team around regardless of the guys in the back seven. I mean, you guys, you listeners, you all know this. You build from the front to back. Defensive line is where it starts. It's a huge deal, and Purdue just doesn't have it. They kind of have everything else, though. Um, The best comp for this team this year is probably Rutgers. If Rutgers had one fantastic defensive end and much better corners, Um, because Rutgers is a team that has linebackers and not much else, Purdue has linebackers and a pretty good secondary, and one great defensive end. But still, even with the negatives Purdue's looking at up front, at a time when half of the conference is a mess defensively, Purdue can at least point to a brighter future. So this isn't going to click for Brad Lambert right away, but it at least makes Purdue an interesting case to watch going forward. Like, they were as fun for me to preview as any of these teams.
0: Uh, so, because Rondell Moore is gone, um, he's he's playing in the NFL now. David Bell's still around though, and uh, that just in and of itself makes Purdue's offense scary.
1: Yeah, it it, it does. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of a more more you know muted tone with Purdue this year. I think you know reading back over my Purdue offensive preview from last year makes me think of that time I went used car shopping. I really <laughs> oversold their offense. Um, that said the potential for them to be, you know, really good remains, but they have to avoid some of the bad luck of last season. Um, despite my oversell, uh, Purdue still finished middle of the conference on offense and they beat Iowa in week one. Uh, my formula for them being great was solid QBs for a notoriously good QB coach an improved running game through both the running backs and the offensive line. And then Rondell Moore plus David Bell on the field at the same time as the explosive icing on top. And I was, I you know, I hit on, like, one and a half out of three. I guess that ain't bad. 50%, um, man. Yeah, you know, I, I good enough for Cooperstown, right? Sure. Um, so, I mean, the, the biggest problem for them is that the run game did not improve at all in 2019. In fact, they averaged one less yard per game in twenty nineteen in 2020 than they did the year before. Um They had a mega four-star recruit, Tyrick Murphy, who got arrested in October, uh, never played, ended up transferring in January. Uh, King Daru missed the opener and never got back on track. Uh, Zach Horvath, um, the kind of big, massive dude, was he was pretty decent, but he couldn't overcome what was the worst offensive line in the division. And actually, I, th- I think they were the worst offensive line in the country. The only O-line um, with stats even as close to bad as them was Michigan
2: state. I I remember us almost giving Braum credit because like, it was like Horvath and nothing else early on. And somehow they were getting some things done. I just remember like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, they just like, they were supposed to have four returning starters and improve, but one of those four opted out. Another was supplanted by a freshman pretty early and they just couldn't run block. Now the pass blocking actually improved a little bit from 2019. Um, but, but there's not much as an offense that you can do when your offensive line is, is that much worse than your opponents, and they were, like, dramatically worse than everybody else in the West. What's wild is when you look back at Broome's first two years of Purdue, he had one of the best run-blocking offensive lines in the conference, but they just haven't recovered from what was a wholesale turnover of bodies going into 2019. Now there's maybe, you know... Some guys coming in there and, you know, you, you see O-line toward the top of the recruiting uh, class in the, in the last couple of years. But um, this is, I mean, this, to me, this is the make or break. It, like if he can't get this sorted out this year or next year, he's in deep trouble. Uh, lastly for 2020. And this was, this was the worst thing of all, especially just because of how much of a bummer it was for, for me personally as a fan. Like we all saw Rondell Moore on the field last year. We all saw how hard he tried and how hard he played for his school and we also saw how clearly he was not at 100%. I mean, they absolutely fed him the ball against Minnesota and Nebraska. I think he had 12 to 15 catches in both those games, plus a handful of, of rushes. And, I mean, part of it is they were feeding him the ball because everybody else was focused on David Bell, but he just did not have the explosiveness to take advantage uh, of those opportunities like he did in, in 2018. And it's such a bummer because he was so much fun to watch when he was on the field and he was right. I just I hope that at the next level he's able to to stay healthy because he's just an absolute dynamo when he's uh when he's in good shape. But as you mentioned, Sam, Moore's now gone. It's Broome's fifth year, and it does not sound like the defense is going to save the day in twenty twenty one. Um but that said I still believe there's some room for optimism. So first of all, as wrong as I was about the overall offense, I got the quarterbacks right. Once again they're both really decent. They they improved a lot, especially uh Jake Plummer. Um, or Jack Plummer? Yes, Jack Plummer. I always mix that up. Anyways. Uh, Easy just, to do. Like, yeah. for, not for not a long time, sneak. I thought
0: he was Jake's son or something.
1: Yeah. Weird 12th cousin or something. Yeah. Um, anyway, Plummer dramatically improved his accuracy. He was 71% accurate last year. And uh, O'Connell, Aiden O'Connell, also improved his, got up into the into the mid-60s. They had better yards per attempt. Each of them did. They, they both improved their touchdown to pick rate. And once again, they're both virtually indistinguishable from one another. I mean, this was my big point going to last year, like pick a quarterback. He's throwing for 300 yards a game and 60 plus percent completion and a, and a two to one pick to TD ratio. Like this is an amazing thing for, for to be able to work with. Now O'Connell got injured against us in the, what was that? The third game of the year and didn't, didn't play thereafter. Um, he technically had slightly worse stats, but he also played it against the much harder defenses in Iowa Northwestern, and Moore did not play in the three games that O'Connell did. That said, um, Jack Plummer can do a lot more with his legs. So going into 2021, I still it, it, it's anybody's QB room. That might be a problem, but both guys have played so well and so similar to one another that maybe it's okay. I don't know. Um, but I just, I can't. I can't stop but think like if these guys average sixty-five to seventy percent completion again, they had a combined TD to pick rate last year of fifteen to four. I mean that translates to thirty to eight for a full season. That's really good. And if they get more support from the run game, like they should be, they should be totally fine on offense. Uh, they also have Veronica Burton's brother Austin as um, a potential backup at QB. It's probably a long shot to play. They've got another impressive freshman in Michael Alamo. Um, So, like, they're they're in really great shape at the most important position. Uh, Their target set just continues to look awesome. David Bell is back. Uh, He's arguably the best receiver in the conference. He was on pace for another 1,000-yard season last year. He averaged more than a touchdown per game. Uh, Milton Wright, the number two, looks really solid. Uh, As a number two, uh, their tight end, Payne Durham, caught three touchdowns. All three of these guys are back. Uh, Moore's spot as the slot guy is open. I think it's most likely to be picked up by freshman. He played last year as well, but you know, still, still has his entire eligibility because of COVID. Uh, but freshman TJ Sheffield, I, nobody can truly replace more. But TJ was the primary kick returner last year. I expect you'll see him used in jet sweeps and the like. Uh, he, he's he's got some wheels. He's got some speed. This is a critical element, right, to to Brohm's offense and the way it works. The running back room almost identical to last year in terms of who played. So uh, Zach Horvath is back again for what feels like a 12th year. Uh, King Daru returns as well. Horvath is worth noting in addition to, to being pretty good as a runner behind that rough offensive line. Uh, caught 30 balls out of the backfield and averaged 10 yards per catch. So, I mean, again, there's a, just a lot of dynamic, dynamicism for the type of offense that, that Brome likes to run. Uh, the cupboard behind Horvath and Daru does not look good. They've got a transfer from UNLV and an okay-looking freshman, but that's that's it. So if one of the top two goes down, or if or if DeRoe, you know underperforms again, like I think that would be problematic for them. But at the same time, like this offense and Brum, you know they're they're comfortable throwing more than they run anyway. So this is not like what you would call an Achilles' heel. That being said, the offensive line is where Hay is going to be made. If they have another year like like last year, they're conti- going to continue to fall into that spot where they can put up points. But can't do so in a way to turn opponents on their head and make up for their defensive deficiency. Uh, they do bring back three starters plus the opt out from 2020, and they get a four year starter transferring him from Western Kentucky, Brome's old school, so a guy that that Brome pres- presumably helps recruit uh, and then has, has started there for four consecutive seasons. So the starting five looks great. Frankly, the best offensive line that Brome has had on paper but the experience only goes six deep and there's there's not a lot of like on paper talent so um you know i don't think they need to be gangbusters but they they have to get back to, to to like mediocre i mean they were they were rated in like the 120s in all of fbs in terms of their 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 running stats last year and they've just like illinois was in the 80s they've got to get better if they can close that gap Uh, I like their offense to get closer to like the 30 points per game. They averaged in 2018. That's the only year in recent memory where they've averaged more points on O than given up on D. And I think if they can't do that, they're in for a world of hurt in 2020.
0: So their schedule, uh, interesting. Uh, (laughs) Hard. Yeah. Before before
2: the buy, it looks nice.
0: (laughs) Well, kind of, Uh, They open up the season at home against Oregon State, Uh, then they travel to Connecticut, and then up to South Bend uh, to take on Notre Dame. They're home for Illinois, home for Minnesota, then they get their bye week to rest up to make their trip to Iowa, home for Wisconsin at Nebraska, home for Michigan State at Ohio State, Northwestern at Wrigley Field, and then finishing off the season at home against the Hoosiers.
2: Brutality. Yeah. Yeah. it's, it's so, I am so all over the place on this team. I don't even know where to begin. There is no scenario where I see them being a great football team. But beyond that, there are just so many things. It's like, Scuzz, it's hilarious that I feel like you're squinting and being like, in the right light, this is a good offense. Potentially a great offense. And I'm like squinting, being like, in the right light, this looks like a good defense. And this team may suck in the trenches on both sides of the ball. <laughs> yeah. And they might and go just, four and eight or worse. Yeah. There and there might and like it's like, but this team, there are a lot of teams that have worse offenses and a lot of teams that have worse defenses in the Big Ten than this. And I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, I you could I'm like, I'm like looking and I'm like, I see six teams that they have to beat if they're going to get to six and six. And then on the flip side, I'm like, and they could probably beat all six of those teams. Um, I think
0: Oregon State, Connecticut, Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska, Michigan Mich- State and,
2: and Michigan State. Yeah. And I, and you know, it, it could happen. It's just, but then again, it's like they're, you know, Minnesota, for example, Minnesota can hit offensively can hit Purdue in the one way that they can't handle, which is just grinding them on the ground with Ibrahim. And, you know, it's like, but it's like Purdue's defense is way better than Minnesota's defense. And it's not like Minnesota doesn't have their own issues. It's just like, there's so much of that. And it just, it's weird because right. It's like Purdue would give anything to get Notre Dame off their schedule. I don't know why the hell they're doing that game. Um, If they could replace them with a bad team, They'd have the softest first five weeks of probably any team in the Big Ten and be looking at loading up on some wins. But yeah, I mean, it's just there are six teams on their schedule that I just don't know how they beat those teams. And 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 again, right, like Scott said, like four and eight seems very likely for this team because like realistically, they probably are not winning those other six games. But yeah, but then again, it's like... There is there are crazy situations you could talk me into where Purdue somehow knocks off some random team. Like I feel like Purdue is better equipped for that random win no one sees coming than than any of these teams.
1: I, I feel like there's a bigger spectrum of outcomes for Purdue than, than yes. most, if not all, other teams. Right? Like, I mean, s- seven is not crazy,
2: right? It, I mean, it eight, could eight happen. is
1: extraordinarily implausible, but like, yes. I mean, I mean, maybe, I don't know, like if they knocked off us and then like got lucky in a, in a rivalry game with Indiana, I mean, they could, they could get there, but, um, and like by the same token, like two two and 10 is super plausible.
2: (laughs) Yes, it is. It's like they, they could beat Oregon state and UConn and then lose out. Exactly.
1: Especially if, I mean, if, if all it takes is an offensive lineman to get dinged up or, um, I mean god forbid David Bell gets hurt like oh that would that'd be rough for them the the running backs like i mentioned there's there's very little beyond the two starters who who aren't i mean you know like i mentioned Horvath can can catch the ball but like there's not a ton of flexibility there with those two guys right so
2: um it is weird though it's like if Brad Lambert's defense somehow like if just like the dude comes in and he's like i am the the great savior of, of this Purdue nation and just like, and Purdue's defense, you know, even if they repeat, even if they're the eighth best defense in the conference again, but Yanni let's say
1: Karloftis defensive player yeah, of the yeah, year.
2: Yeah. Right. Like, let's say like the Karloftis brothers go ape and they're somehow like the sixth or seventh defense in the conference. Like again, if you guys have been paying attention, it's not a murderer's row of defenses. Once you get down below like five or six in the conference. And it's like, you could be like, there's there is a scenario where Purdue is half decent at defense and can throw the crap out of the ball, and that's way more than a lot of teams in the Big Ten have. So yeah, all over the place with this team. I mean, I think I'm 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 going more glass half empty probably at the end of the day, and I'll probably say probably either four and eight or five and six. Um, probably four and eight. But is I,
0: is four is four and eight enough for Brom to get camped? So this is such an interesting
1: yeah, thing to think about because I, I think like if you dig it, if you, if you listen to what both John and I are selling here, it's that we see a lot of potential and I know I would say I, I would not. Yeah. Right. I mean, Against, against like the schedule they had two years ago, their, their crossovers were Indiana, Penn state and Maryland. And their non-con was Nevada Vanderbilt and TCU. I mean, they went four and eight that let that year in 2019. I think this team might might go
2: bowling against that type of a schedule sure yes yeah. absolutely again they the, do anything to get Notre Dame off their schedule
1: yeah this lineup is just brutal and
0: Phil, Phil seal has it ranked the fifth hardest schedule in the country
1: yeah and yep. it's Broome's fifth year so like he's kind of out of mulligans right. um now I mean maybe maybe you know if you're Purdue you're thinking we've been a tire fire for years and this guy is the best chance we've got to turn it around. We want to give him more time. We want to give him more rope. You know, twenty twenty, right? Like, kind of cross that off, and then you're looking at you know two five hundred ish seasons. One bad one in twenty nineteen. Let's see what he can do. You know, this year, next year, and and go from there. If we continue to see progress and growth, like maybe we go for it. But like, couple it's hard injuries. to define
0: progress and growth when with, against a schedule this tough.
1: Yeah, I know. and if, and again if, if he a couple can, injuries happen and the bottom falls out and they go 2 and 10 or 3 and 9 like yikes.
2: Yeah, that, I mean that could happen. I think I've got to think I mean you if if he goes 5 and 7 or better then I, I would say you got to hang on to him. I I think partly we just think he's a good coach, you know? I mean it's there's been some raw deals with the Rondell Moore stuff, etc. and um and you know he's got his limitations but, of what he's selling. but the, but, it, but
1: then the 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 diaco thing might be like
2: unconscious yeah, right. bad move bad 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 move from <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not, not great Bob not great, not great bob <laughs> but uh but yeah but but hey, i mean if if they write the ship this year, but yeah, I think i I'll, I'll probably come in and, and say, probably oh God, I really am so close between four and eight and five and seven it's it's, it's, it's four it's right. four
1: and eight for me for sure,
2: yeah. Um, and again it's like they they're there are just so many teams you know on the the lower half well I guess not in the lower half of their schedule but I mean it's like you know you know Illinois Minnesota Nebraska and Michigan State none of those teams are 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 peaches um, and um, Purdue can definitely swing with those teams but yeah to have some sort of some sort of legit season, they're going to have to win all those games. So, well, and
1: they yeah. do, they do get all the, they do get those three you mentioned at home, right? So yeah. that's,
2: that's the that's
1: the upshot is that, you know, with with I mean, the exception it, it, of Nebraska and UConn, their other winnable games are all at home. Ross, eight yeah. isn't the like, for a you.
0: murderous row of places to play though.
2: Yeah, no. <laughs> hey, we're rooting for you, Purdue. Uh, we got nothing against Purdue. Let's uh, you know put it together. We, yeah, we I, I think we would like to see them beat most of those teams.
1: Unless I think unless it's, a train whistle is your kryptonite, like yeah, it's not gonna, right. not tough right. there.
0: I I like for for us this game at Wrigley. Um, you know Purdue doesn't really travel. I mean they travel well. Yeah. I mean they're close, but they're not like you, you're not going to see them bring hordes and hordes like uh, Nebraska or Ohio State or it, even it ten years a, ago with Illinois. Was, I mean that right. was it
2: over half a, that stadium. Exactly. It should be a solidly Northwestern crowd, which will be great. Yeah, it's a good,
1: it's a um, good fit for us.
2: hmm yep, So, you yep,
1: know, that, I, 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 I would
0: you. love to wash the taste of the last Wrigley game out of our, out of my mouth. Oh,
1: so,
2: you know, uh, and anything I else we, on the? Yeah, I think we match up well against this team too. I think we can, we can hit them in the trenches where it counts offensively and, and defensively. You know, it's. Roping them in the passing game is always a tall order, but I think, you know, our guys know what they do at this point and uh, can can hang with them. Uh, anything
0: else on the boilers before we
2: uh, put a lid in this one? I don't think so. Just that, heck, it feels like just yesterday I was we were at uh, at Wrigley Field watching the Illini, and I can't believe we're already going back again. But it's it's been a, over a decade at this point. But, it, again, it feels like we just did it. So be stoked to go back. Yeah, it'll be fun.
0: Oh, well, let's go ahead and uh, close the door on the Boilermakers for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlawpirates. You can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skasble, I'm Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>